Pulp MX Network production. Thanks for all the support, Pulp MX fans. The Pulp MX app is now available for both iPhone and Android-based phones. For all your moto needs, shop at btosports.com and use the current discount code PULPMX. And don't forget to click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com when purchasing anything from Amazon. It's the Steve Mathis Show, brought to you by RacerX, presented by BTOSports.com and ThorMX. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOSports.com RacerX podcast presented by Thor MX. I'm your host, Steve Mathis. Thanks to BTO Sports. Thanks to Thor for making this happen. And mostly thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, this week uh, on the show, the last American world motocross champion, uh, 1994. It's been that long, and uh, we'll talk about that and much more with uh, the great Bobby Moore. Bobby, what's up, man? Thanks for doing this. Hey, no problem. Just uh, just hanging out here in sunny, sunny Southern California. Yeah. Um, WM, you work at w, Wasserman Media Group. You are the uh, executive vice president of motorsports. So I guess explain what that is and what you do. Well, I've uh, now been here over 10 years, which is uh, just mind-boggling in itself. I mean, not that I, I, I love my job um, tremendously, and it's just something that I just, it is not even a job for me. It's just something I love to do. So what I, what I came over to, to, when I started with, I was with another management company, and uh, we just kind of just didn't see eye to eye on, on kind of the topics of what I wanted to, mm-hmm. to see for my athletes, and I ended up leaving, and calling up uh, Steve Astafin uh, on the phone, and basically three weeks later, I had a deal with the family at the time, which then literally six months after that, we were purchased by Casey Wasserman and the Wasserman Media Group. Okay. So I, I came to the company with <clears throat> with uh, basically the only two motorsport athletes that Steve had at the time were Travis Pastrana and Kerry Hart, which obviously are great, too, to start right. with. But right, right. I... I I came over and, uh, you know, I, I brought Chad Reed and, and Grant Langston and, you know, uh, Nathan Ramsey and a, a list of other mm-hmm. really top guys that I was working with. And we just kind of, we formed Wasserman, uh, you know, at, at the time it was a Wasserman Media Group from the motocross and supercross side. So, uh, yeah, that's basically, you know, a lot a lot, uh, a lot has grown and the company has, has expanded to, uh, you know, we're, we're over 400 employees now. We're the world's largest athlete representation company um, mm-hmm. now, uh, which is over 1,200 athletes worldwide. We don't focus just, uh, you know, we have everything from your traditional stick and ball sports to, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of content deals. And media mm-hmm. side is another aspect that, that the Wasman Group is really growing in now as well. So it's really, really fun company to be involved with and uh it's just it's it's just great it's just it's a lot of fun and see how see how much the the company has grown over the last 10 years is just amazing yeah really that's true though when you name some of the athletes and not even the moto guys just the stick and ball guys i read something on sports business journal maybe a year ago wmg is a huge mover in uh nfl uh pga uh that type of stuff uh you guys are, are making a move into that big time so 
<clears throat> things, yep. are, things are blowing it's up. It's a lot there. of fun. Uh-huh. It's a lot of fun, and and again, I, it's just something that it, it's cool to, to to follow. And and you know, even though it's all within the sporting group, <clears throat> it's something completely separate from Supercross and yeah. Motocross. But yeah. it's it's a blast. You know, we we we. Uh, Casey's got a philosophy when when he wanted to start um, this agency that he just wanted it to be the best focused and athlete driven first. You know, it's it's always the athlete becomes first, and um, not like a lot of other agencies where they focused on more consulting or um, you know sponsorship stuff or mm-hmm. you know or marketing where we just focus on you know our athletes always come first, and I think that's that's kind of one of the the benefits that we've been able to have is is that's the reason why we have so many great athletes. Haven't seen you around the moto track uh, or supercross track much, but I do see on Twitter or uh, in Racer X or wherever you're doing a lot of. You're going back to Europe, basically. You, you lived there forever, and now you, you you seem to not be able to get a, enough of Europe because you're over there at a lot of the Moto GPs. Yeah, you know it, it. It is something. I obviously, you know, being that I that I, I left the America after winning the West Coast Supercross title at such a young age, at 18, I just always had a dream to be to be world champion, world motocross champion. And um, so leaving at 18 <clears throat> and, and being there for 12 years, <laughs> I pretty much lived a lot of my life growing up there. Um, so it's just it's just come to be like a second home to me, mm-hmm. and um, you know again, the company has been has been gracious with with me to to be able to expand our our division. So around five years ago, I set out on this new adventure that I wanted to get into MotoGP, and um, I basically just just because of my interest in the sport and the people and and uh, and again the the size of the sport mm-hmm. it, it was as well. I just started reaching out, and I, I uh, we hired as a consultant Randy Mamola, and he basically started introducing me to people, and then one thing led to another, and within six months I had my first MotoGP athlete, which was uh, John Hopkins, mm-hmm. and then it kind of just grew from there. And really, the last five years I've been really pushing forward with a lot of growth in that area. Uh, we were fortunate enough to uh, to help with Monster Energy um, as well as bringing them into Europe and doing their motocross program and the program with not only Valentino Rossi but Yamaha Tech 3 and Dorna and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. that's been a lot of fun uh, as well. And so, yeah, it, it's it's something that uh, it's, it's, it's just because my life has been uh, I've been over there for so much, right. uh, so much time. It, it's kind of like a second home to me. So it just, uh, it was just, it's been a blast living over there. Um, I actually packed up my family two years ago and said we're going to move to Europe. And uh, we we went over there and spent 14 months, put the kids in school. Really? They learned a little oh, okay. bit of Italian and yeah, yeah. and I lived in Florence. So it, it was it was it was a great it was a great adventure, I should say. Right. Um, ha- happy to be back. <laughs> Um, for sure, in in, uh, in California, um, but again, I'm, I'm I'm basically off on a plane ride uh, tomorrow to go to uh, Le Mans, France, oh, yeah. for a MotoGP event. So I I still travel quite often over there. So you really one of the point men. The GPs had a long, long association with Red Bull. Switched to Monster maybe two years ago now. So that was you were point man on that deal. I with, uh, again, I, I was I was just at the right place at the right time. You mm-hmm. know, I I. I went over there, and again, I've obviously my my motocross background is is, is obvious with with racing with with the Yamaha group and winning my title and stuff over there. So I had mm-hmm. plenty of plenty of people 
that were uh, um, involved in the in the motocross side, but but I, you know at that time it was probably back. This is back now six years ago mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> that you know once I started rep- representing um, John Hopkins, I just kept going to more and more events and meeting more and more people and and knew where Monster was going. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though they hadn't even launched over there, I was like I kept waving the flag. I'm like you know I just you guys got to come home and check this out. <laughs> right, right. And I was fortunate enough to to bring the president Mark Hall over to uh, one of the biggest races in, in that that they have in Europe, and it's in Le, in uh, Mugello, mm-hmm. Italy, which Italy. is Valentino Rossi's kind of home track. And I took him around a scooter around the track on Saturday, and it was just full of forty six banners, and just yeah. he got the whole bug of MotoGP, and he's like, "Man, we we're gonna come, we gotta we gotta do this." So. <laughs> Again, I was just very fortunate to be the right place at the right time, and um, you know they trusted me enough to to represent them with the not only the Dorna um, sponsorship but also the Yamaha. We also did the Kawasaki deal as well, but then that kind of fell through when Kawasaki decided to to stop racing. Mm-hmm. But it's just been yeah, I just I've, I've really kind of at least given them the opportunity to to get with a lot of top right. athletes and and. Uh, and teams and stuff like that. So yeah, it was uh, that was that was kind of all started by me, I should say. So I guess, are you a bigger MotoGP fan now than Moto and Supi? Uh, or like, I mean, that's where your heart is. That's where you started. That's where you made your your name at. But it sounds to me like you're really into this road racing stuff. Well, it, it, it's fun. It, it's kind of like a a new adventure for me. It's something that I I've uh, I've just you know, again, if I if I had ten billion dollars or ten million dollars, I mean, the first thing I'd do is go. You know what? I'm going to do a motocross team, and okay. I'm going to make right. sure my athletes are paid really well. And <laughs> right. you know, that would be the first thing I'd do. So don't get me wrong, I I, I do love Supercross and mm-hmm. motocross, and I'm still very active in that as well. But that being said, I mean, I had an unbelievable time working with uh, working with Chad Reed. Chad still works with our firm, but I don't personally work with his day-to-day stuff. And mm-hmm. after I won the championship with him in 90, in 2004, it was kind of like it almost it was almost like winning a championship myself. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know what? That was awesome. That was great. But, you know, you always want something more. You know, you always want something a little different. So that was Kind of the time I'm like, you know what? I want to try this MotoGP thing. I want to try to succeed there. I want to try to represent athletes, represent brands, bring you right, know, bring right. our business uh, model over there, and and see if we can succeed at it. So that's kind of the the starting point of you know of of working in the MotoGP. And yes, it is it is a, a very very cool sport. I mean, you you have the technology involved. With that, uh, MotoGP is just—it's just—it's the top two-wheel motorsport, you know, uh, at, at, you know, at, yeah. in the world. Right. Um, teams are spending between thirty and forty million dollars a year to go racing, and the technology that they have with all electronics and the bikes themselves—it's just—it's mind-blowing. Right. Um, and and I learn stuff still every day. Um, the ultimate goal for us and and uh, and, and and myself, Wasserman, is to, is to eventually get into Formula One. Um, but that's that's a, a completely different animal <laughs> in itself. So yeah, yeah, really, that's right. going to take some time. That's going to take uh, you know the right people at the right time. And again, we're just going to be very slow and and uh, and uh, I should say precise if we uh, if we enter into that area. Um, yeah, really, right? That that that's another world altogether. Can you imagine? Um, yeah, I know. I'm sure your buddies with Serb and, and I'm sure Wolfgang and I'm sure your buddies with Giuseppe, but 
what's going on with the GPs these days? I, I'm a I'm a <clears throat> fan. I follow the sport on both sides of the ocean. I've spent my own money to go to GPs almost one a year. Of course, the motocross mm-hmm. nations as well. But man, I just feel now we've got this year. We got the smaller gates. We've got uh, some weird rules going on at those overseas races. What's what's going on with that? Tell me. Tell well, me. I, I, you know, I think. Do we like know, this? And, and I, I actually just I sat down with Giuseppe and had a pretty long conversation with him at, at the at the Vulcan Swat event. Mm-hmm. Um, when was it in April? Um, no, March, end of March. And it basically, you know, the way he explained it to me, um, he really does like the Supercross format. And it's no, I mean, you you can't, um, you can't deny that the, the, the Supercross format is, is really brought in our, mm-hmm. our, our, our sport to another level. And, of course, it's because of the awesome guys that fell there doing a tremendous job week in and week in out, you know, week in and week out to promote it the right way and the television package and the, right. the now the more bike cameras and stuff and, and all that stuff. So I just think that Giuseppe really wants to have more of that format. Now, there's two sides that, that, uh, that I say. I, I don't really agree with, with him 100%, nor mm-hmm. do I disagree with him 100%. Right. I, I'm kind of torn between both because... I'm a traditional motocross guy. I mean, I, 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 I've won a world championship, and, and believe me, if, if they would have brought in these kind of rules back when I was racing, I'd say, man, you guys are crazy. Right. You know, because I, I'm a traditionalist. I really like the fact of having two 35-plus, you know, two-lap motos, yeah. being in the heat, being in the dry, doing the sand, wherever, in the mud, right. whatever it was, just two motos, you know, and... and the best of the best are on the gate, and you have to you have to win a world championship. Um, but that being said, and and just with the sport that uh, you know, being involved in a marketing company like I am, and the way sponsors and and and, uh, and people you know look at things, they're just different now. You know what what they see is is that you know they they want to make sure that they have uh, a good audience. Uh, the television is very important to them. And a single race format is is it is a positive I think a positive way to go, even though it doesn't really follow the the traditional world championship rules. If you're going to have one, you know, if you want to make it to take it to the next level and really get someone uh, interested, I think you know I think it really does need to be into that one one race format. Really, huh? You like that? Well, I just I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I get it for sponsorship and I get it for TV and all that, but well, and and, and I'll throw out even another kind of even more curly thing that you know, even maybe will draw probably a lot of you know eyebrows at this thing, but but I think everyone should be on a 250s. Yeah, well, the, there's and not a 450. I think everyone should that should be the MX, you know, whatever you call it, MX World Championship, MX One, whatever you want to call it. That's your championship, and you have. Everyone, there's no age limit. There's no fifty, you know, fifty wins and you're out, or one win and you're out, or whatever. It's just everyone races that class. They have still another class, an MX2, I should, you know, you call it or whatever, which which could be a 450 format type thing. Um, and you just have the very mm-hmm. best guys focus on one area, right. and and then you have. You have, you know, I, I just think it's. I just think it would be really cool to see. I don't know. I don't know, Bobby. I'm having trouble. I'm just a traditionalist. I'm having mm-hmm. trouble. But then again, you did um, 
You did race. Well, like I, like I said, I mean, I, for me, from a racer perspective, right, right, right. I completely disagree with what I just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But right, from a right. sponsorship <laughs> revenue and dollars and and television and all the other stuff that really does mm-hmm. help make our sport go around, those those are the type of things that you have to consider. Very and, interesting. And again, it, it's just yeah. it's just as simple as that. You know, again. I, I, I like the two-moto format, and do I think that they'll go to a single one? Probably not, because mm-hmm. there's a lot more people that think it should just be left alone. And, and again, don't forget, it's, it's the FIM World Championship. So yeah. it'd be like going to MotoGP and saying, hey, guys, we want to do three-moto format or something like that. There's yeah. just no way. you know. So I, I, don't, I don't think they'll change it. I just I know what, you know, just, you know, Giuseppe has some really good ideas. And I think that if the manufacturers can agree to it, I think they will do better than where they are now. Right, right. Well, uh, I don't know if he has good ideas. Just be, I don't, and I don't want to get this into this into this. I want to talk about Bobby Moore, the great racer. But <laughs> you know, there's 20 guys on the gate, so something tells me whatever they're doing isn't working. So, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, that's for another day, I suppose. Let's um, stop. And it, it is interesting too. You. You're you're dealing with Fortune 500 companies and Fortune 500 people in the agency where you work. You're dealing with uh, all sorts of sports. If you need advice, even on a, uh, an NFL or what they think, I'm sure you can go down the down the hall to another office. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you've raced and won a world title and won a uh, 125 Supercross title. So you do have, as opposed to me, you do have quite a perspective of this from both sides. You know. Yeah. So um, yeah. yeah, you know, I, I'm I I was I tip my hat to. To, to your well, experience you. in this, um, let's. Get a, and and again, I I'm just a motocross kid that has been very blessed with a with a a life that's been able to to follow something he loves to do. Yeah. You know, I I was the FMF team manager for twenty five grand a year when I retired. <laughs> you know, I was just a fan that 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 was fortunate enough to work with the FMF Honda guys and 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 go out and and be involved in the racing and you know that just kind of led me into another area which was the management side of things and then that mm-hmm. kind of led me into where I am but I've always kind of yeah. stayed in that that realm of of the racing thing and you know again I I've just been you know like I said very blessed with the opportunities that are, that have been given to me that's all Well Bobby I know you're an FMF team manager cuz I was on the team That's right that's It's okay right. if you don't remember cuz neither did Ping <laughs> no, I, I, of course I, I brought remember. it up with Ping one time, and he's like, "We had were, awesome time." You were on that team, and I'm like, "Yeah, thanks, Ping, jerk." I was only on there. <laughs> I, Danny Smith's guy got fired. I came on for only a little bit. Then Danny got hurt, so it was a it was a brief spell. Um, hey, anyways, let's get in the time machine. Let's go way back. You, you have appointments. You're a very busy man, but um, okay. So you're probably the Adam Cincirillo of 19, the early 80s, right? You, Rob Healy, Larry Brooks. Uh, Mike Healy, sorry, Rob Healy, Mike Healy, uh, Larry Brooks, yourself, uh, just, you know, like I said, highly touted amateur kids. You win the 125 Supercross title, but then, like, you never go any further in American racing. You don't, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you're, you're a pretty big name. What happened? Why did you go to Europe? What what was wrong well, with you? <laughs> it, it was it was kind of a twofold deal. Like I said, I mean, I had I had always dreamt to be a world champion. Not that I didn't respect or or admire what you know what yeah. here what the guys here in America because again you know the best guys in the world are all still here mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Um, it was just something that 
two things, and probably the second will make more, more, more sense when I say it. But again, first is I wanted to be a world champion, so I wanted to go over to Europe and race over there. The second was, um, you know, I had an agreement with, uh, with Suzuki. Mm-hmm. Um, right after I, I won Ponca City, <clears throat> which, you know, Ponca City is a red linen, right. and on an 80, <laughs> I was seven, you know, 17 years old. Um, I was 4 foot 11 inches and weighed 87 <laughs> pounds. And, you were 17. You know, I had, to, I had to jump on a 125. Right. And so this is a true story. So after I won Ponca City, <clears throat> my dad's like, well, you're, you're too old to ride a, uh, an 85 anymore, and you're too small to ride a 125, so we're just going to retire right now. We're going we're gonna to be done. We're going to hang it up for maybe, you know, maybe next year you'll grow enough to get on a bike. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? And, and, and my dad's like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know he was doing the pro track trailers mm-hmm. and selling, you know, so it was like, yeah, you just, just you know, I think you, you're not going to be able to succeed in that. I'm like, dad, I, I, I still believe that I can do it. Yeah, I'm a little small, and I'll yeah. need, like, a whole bunch of stuff to, to make this thing work, but yeah. I think I can do it. So I used the motorcycle that I won from winning the stock class or whatever, the, yeah. the, the championship back there, and I sold it, and I, and I bought a used practice bike from Mouse McCoy, oh, a yeah, Kawasaki yeah. 125. And I went out and rode it for literally two weeks, and then I hopped in with him and his dad, and we went to uh, Ascot. Mm-hmm. And I signed up as an amateur, and at Miles at that time was already a, an, an expert, so we didn't race together in the same class. And I went and killed him. Oh, yeah. Just won my first race. I'm like, wow, this is cool. I come home. I tell my dad. He's like, all right, let's go racing. You know, he's all shaking his hand. Yeah, all right. We're racing now. And and so I started racing the, the, the you know, towards the, the fall of, of uh, 85, all the amateur events. And I was winning most of them. And then Kawasaki approached me. And they're like, you know what? We want you to do... We want you to do the, the amateur scene and, and go back to Ponca City and Loretta Lynn again and ride an amateur, but you, you can't really race much because you're already going to point out. Oh, I'm yeah. like, well, that's no fun. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So then Suzuki called. Um, Pat uh, Alexander over there gives me a call and says, you know what? We're putting together this massive team, and we have Mike Healy, and we have you know, Je- George Holland, and we've got all these guys, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Scott Burnsworth. And I'm like, wow, that's just crazy. Yeah, for for sure, I'd love to. Right. So I go down there, and my pro contract, my first year pro contract, was I made five thousand dollars, <throat> and I got all the bikes and parts that I needed, uh-huh. and that was it. Yeah. That was my factory Suzuki contract. <laughs> Five grand. And so after a year of of racing, and and again, I won the title. But this was the first year that the right. Supercross had really even had a 125 class. So yeah. it was. You know, yeah, it's still it's in the record books and it's still there, but it was really the first year that they got going, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like it is today, right. winning the lights or or east. So after that, I did the nationals. I did okay. I think I finished tenth or thirteenth or something. So I was just so so. It wasn't like lighting the world on fire. But I went back to to Suzuki at the end of the year, and I'm like, you know, I, I just need a little bit more help. You know, I spent 30 grand from a mechanic. I, you know, did all my own travel and everything else. Mm-hmm. I did, really didn't. My dad's kind of overpaying for this thing, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, And they're like, well, sorry, you have a contract. That's all you. Well, that's all we can give you. We're not doing it anymore. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I quit. <laughs> and 
and and this is like I said, this is all true. It, it I basically was getting ready to stop because my dad would he couldn't afford to take me to go out again. Right. And um, there was no. So then there was at no that time I got an opportunity to go over and race in 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 Italy at a at a Saperiti Italia race, uh-huh. and um, because uh, uh, um, Willie Surratt got hurt. So I went over there and did that race, and I did some interviews while I was over there. And basically, a month later, I got a call from a guy that had a Suzuki team and wanted to go road, uh, wanted to to go motocross racing. And that's that's it. That's the story. So that it was really kind of two based. Is one because I really wanted to go over there and race, yeah. and two just simple fact it came down to dollars yeah. and cents, and you know I, I I couldn't afford to race here. Right. Um, uh, well, so it well, was that was it. I, I really had another great opportunity. I think it was in two thousand. Yeah, it was in ninety nineteen ninety one <clears throat> uh, with Kawasaki, mm-hmm. and that was the year that that they did the the there was a a, a Grand Prix in in Suzuka, um, Japan, mm-hmm. yeah. and and Mike Larocco or not Mike Larocco, Mike Kudrowski came over as kind of you know he was. Yeah. The, champion over there right. and i ended up winning the race so I, I beat mike one moto he beat me the one moto and we we ended up i ended up winning the overall and mm-hmm. and i got approached for kawasaki uh, oh, yeah. so in 1992 was really the first year i i had a, a really good opportunity to come back on a factory team and you know make a boatload of money i think she said it would have been three four hundred grand at the time or whatever just a huge contract yeah. um so that was something that was really interesting for me but you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I sat down and I said, you know what, you, you haven't succeeded at winning a world championship that you wanted to do. And if you leave now, you, you know, I'll probably end up being racing in, in America and I won't be able to come back. So right. I turned down that opportunity and I stuck it out and, and uh, carried on racing in, in Europe. And maybe you were so that little... was that yeah. was kind of the reason why you didn't really see me so much uh, over there. But <clears throat> I was the guy that I guess couldn't get a ride. You know, it was I was kind of not really disliked in the in the press, but I was kind of dissed a little bit. Like, oh, Bob went over there because he he couldn't get a ride or anything. Yeah, you know, in America, and uh, but that really wasn't the case. It was just a little bit different. Yeah, it was and there was no bonus for winning the 125 Supercross title. I'm sure there was nothing like they weren't maybe that excited about you it, doing it. It it was actually. Oh, okay. uh, there was a pretty good one in my Suzuki contract and if Suzuki's listening, I'm still open for that getting sent to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pat is still there. Pat is still there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So maybe I can ask Pat again. But but basically instead of you know, I mean, their reasoning why they didn't pay it was they said that I had to win win the East West Shootout oh. final race, and I'm Call like, scene, so yeah. I could have stayed home all year right. and just raced that one race, and I would have got it. They said, yeah, and so whatever. I, uh, instead of saying anything, I just said, you know what, that's okay, that's cool. I'll continue race and um, and and yeah, basically, I mean, the guys you were racing against, Healy Brooks, they got rides, they got some yeah. help right away. Um, well, and, and again, I think to fairness to them, and mm-hmm. I, I think they were probably they were better. You know, they were they were better than me. I I, I, didn't, I don't want to say this in a negative way towards myself. I, I just wasn't that electrifying rider that just stood out like right. a Healy or a Brooks or you know those guys. I was just kind of that quiet kid on the side that just was consistent and mm-hmm. kind of more. Even though I never won as many titles as like I'm like. Kudrowski or something, but kind of more on like that, that line. Right, right. And and I think that's 
one of the reasons why, you know, that it just no one's like, yeah, I won the title. I won the Supercross my first year. Um, I only won one race. You know, mm-hmm. I finished a lot of seconds. It was it was crazy. The guy that would win at one race, he wouldn't even qualify the next race. And, you know, guys right, were just right. all over the map. And I was like fourth and fifth and two seconds and a first. And I ended up winning it. You know, it was just kind of crazy. Um, yeah, it just seems nuts to me. I, I do remember I was a kid when you went over there and it was like, as a as a just a fan reading all the magazines, it was like Bobby Moore is his next big thing. What? He's in Europe? What? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. very weird. And also too, let's not forget, uh, you know, I go to Europe a lot. You're obviously you you're the man over there, but in the mid eighties Europe, this is borders, this is no internet, this is different money, this is no English. Oh, you you have I mean, no idea. Right. And, and again, more true stories. I mean, I went over there at 18. I, I, I left from living with my mom and dad, getting yeah. three squares a day, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. clothes, laundry, folded on my bed, the whole nine, to living by myself in Italy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And talk about a culture shock, that was it. I mean, I was just, I, you know, I hated it over there. I mean, it was for the first two years I spent, I think I made around – 30 to 40 grand the first two years each year when mm-hmm. I was over there. I spent my entire money on plane tickets coming home. Yeah, really, huh? <laughs> I would fly back and forth. Even if there's a weekend, I'm flying back. You right. know, I was just, and it wasn't until I learned to, like, you know what? I, I just, I, I love the racing part of it so much. I said, you got to not live like you're in from California. Right, you know, right. if you live like you're, in California, even to this day, you, you, you won't, you won't like it over there. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. But if you live like you're one of the guys, you know, like you're from Italy or Mm -hmm. France or wherever you're, then you'll really enjoy it. And I I think the other thing that really helped me out was, was learning a language, of Mm -hmm. course, you know, because even in Italy, if you learn the language and you speak to the Italians and they, they just, they're very warm people anyways, but it's like, you know, they're, kicking grandma out of their bed because they want you to stay there and mm-hmm. she's downstairs on the cot it's like you're sitting there eating dinner with them it's it's just a different it's just completely different deal and, <clears throat> but it's it, it's a lot of fun and uh and on the bike you had some rough years some decent i remember you got fourth uh, maybe the first year and this is totally off the top of my head i'm just trying to picture back the magazines because i was trying to do some Googling of you before this thing, and I couldn't get yeah. too much. But you got some fourths and some top tens, but it was rough for a couple of years. Yeah, it was. The the first two years, I ended up getting uh, a ninth in my first year, uh, seventh in my second year. Mm-hmm. But both of, both years, I was injured. So another thing to kind of note is, is I was injured. I broke a bone in my body every single year of my professional <laughs> career. Even the year that I won my world championship. Yeah. I broke my thumb in the in January and broke my tib and fib in December. So yeah, just, yeah. I had a good strain and in between I was <laughs> right. okay. But that's kind of one of the things, you know. Obviously, motocross is <clears throat> is a very demanding and tough sport, and mm-hmm. I, I had a rough a rough couple of go arounds because again I was trying to do too much too soon. I mean, this don't forget these. This is the time when they had. 40 minutes plus two laps, and it was just, you know, here's Bob Moore out springing out of the gate, going wide open, and my (laughs) tongue was in the chain after 10, you know, after 20 minutes, so people started flying by me, and and I just, it, it was tough to get used to that whole the whole, you know, I had to really change my racecraft um, to, to really get, mm-hmm. uh, to get to a higher level, um, and I think because, again, my, you know, I was, 
you know, 411 and 87 pounds when I got my driver's license when I was racing a 125. I was a small oh, kid. That's insane. I didn't yeah. mature. I didn't mature until, uh, you know, a, a later. I, I was growing when I was still 25, 24, 25. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I matured at a later age, and, you know, all that came with better results on the bike and, and, and so on and so forth. So Yeah, motocross action always said that you were taking hormones and – Trying to grow, which and... is which is which is true. I got, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this this happened, you know, still when I was on eighty. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I went down, did the whole UCLA doctor thing, and they took a picture of my hand and they said, "Well, Bob, you know, you're going to be probably between five foot eight and five foot ten. I'm uh, like, "Well, like, great, win." <laughs> so I said, "Well, we can't tell you that, but someday. But here's what we can do: we can give you the shot of this yeah. hormone in your butt for six months, and you know, it'll stimulate the growth." If you want, and I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I did those things for six months. It was one, one, one month, uh, you know, one shot per month for six months, and mm-hmm. I didn't think it worked at all. But right. you know, whatever, it it was something that that helped me a little bit, I guess, grow. So this would have been Vandenberg, Stribos, Bale yeah. were the guys yep. in the 125 class. Uh, were you yep. on the same team every year to start? <clears throat> like at this, no, did, or did you switch I, teams I, every I year? For the, I rode for the the first two years. It was with a road race team. Okay. The, again, this is kind of my introduction of the whole MotoGP and the 500 road racing. Was mm-hmm. during that time they had the HB Suzuki factory team in in 500 road racing. They also branched off and had a motocross team. So I was a part of their motocross team okay. at the time. So that's kind of where I kind of learned my first part of of the road race scene. And um, so I did the first two years with that team. Even though the first year of Suzuki, the second year I rode that white Mugen Honda. I don't know if you ever got pictures of that or saw that, but that thing was slick. Well, I saw um, uh, 80, Steel City 89 USGP. Yep. You did well in one moto, and that was, bike was looked pretty trick. That was a Honda. That was, that was actually 87. Oh, it was 87. I'm sorry. That's right. Lachine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Okay, so. That was the, that was the Lachine no, no-show no show. Um, deal. Yeah. That was and, a, that uh, was a pretty trick bike. Yeah, that looked that yeah, looked so that, good. that's the bike I, and so I rode for the same team then. Okay. And then after that, the team kind of said, "Well, you know, we're just going to focus on road race. We're not going to really do the motocross yeah. thing." And I was again at kind of the time I finished 7th in the championship and I was like, "Well, shoot, what am I going to do?" You uh, know. And they don't forget I didn't this is, you know, you didn't have a manager or anything. Yeah, I was yeah. my own manager just talking to people and stuff like that. So I was literally wondering what to do in the end of 87, and I got this call to go race an international Holland Cross race mm-hmm. yep. in, in Austria, and I won it, and the bosses of KTM were there. Yep. So that was kind of my my debut to the KTM. I, I ended up staying that week and going and testing the bike and doing another race the following weekend, which I won on a KTM, and I got a contract. And from then, I rode 1980. 89, 90, and yeah. 91 on KTM. Okay. And I, I finished three times. Uh, well, I was two times second on the KTM mm-hmm. in 1990 and 91. To Schmidt, and I won to two. Donnie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was 92, yeah. And then 92, I went to the Renault, the Yamaha team. And oh. I was on the 250 class, and I got second again. It's that time again. Thanks for listening to the Racer X podcast show. Brought to you by BTOsports.com. Presented by Thor MX. I appreciate it. Don't forget to click on the Amazon banner on PulpMX.com to help out PulpMX.com. We appreciate it. Listen to these commercials. Buy from these sponsors. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.
Racer X Podcast Show is brought to you by BTOSports.com. Whether you are looking for new gear, helmets, boots, or you need to rebuild your bike from the ground up, BTO is your source for all of your motocross needs. As a proud sponsor of the BTO Sports KTM race team and the heart of the BTO Sports amateur motocross team, it is obvious that we are about more than being just a store. We support the sport that supports us. us. We at BTO Sports want to give back to you, the listener, for supporting us and the Racer X Podcast Show. Use coupon code PULPMX when placing your order at btosports.com for a VIP listener discount. Certain brand restrictions will apply. For 2013, JT Racing enters its next generation with the all-new Evolve Light, ProTech, Enduro, and Limited Edition collections, taking quality and innovation to a whole new level. Also available in youth sizes, each collection is built with high-grade materials offering its own unique characteristics to meet the demands of today's riders, both recreationally and competitively. To find a dealer or view the entire collection online, log on to JTRacingUSA.com. Championship proven. Many motocross apparel brands make that claim, but only Thor can back it up. As America's first motocross apparel brand, Thor has set the standard for delivering the highest quality performance racewear on the market for the past 45 years. With champions like Ryan Villapoto, Blake Baggett, and Dean Wilson, to name a few, our products truly are championship proven. To see all the new 2013 products, visit ThorMX.com or head to your local Thor Parts Unlimited dealer. Thor, the official racewear of Supercross. I always hear uh, from all, I mean, what, what, I just did one, one of these with Trampus, and, and then I did, uh, I've talked to so many GP guys, and, and everyone is like, Italian motocross teams are sketchy. Did you have any, did you have any sketchy moments? Did you? No, you know, I was fortunate. I mean, again, I think, I think that's, that's just, they say it's sketchy because I don't know. I, I just don't think they understand the Italian, the way they do (laughs) stuff. It's, it's really, I don't know. I don't, I didn't really see any, and I still to this day don't really see any sketchy or dodgy ones. You know, obviously at this day and age with money being so tight, it's, it's hard, it's hard everywhere Mm -hmm. to find that kind of stuff. But I, I was fortunate enough to be with a really solid team. They always paid their bills. They always paid me. Yeah. You know, whatever they said they were going to do, they they did. But yeah, I mean, I heard some stories out there, but I think it's a little bit, you know, yeah. I think it's a little bit stretched as well. Um, and and so you being a SoCal guy, your introduction to Lomol and Vulcan Squad and these sand tracks and seeing Vanderbeek and Strebos, you're just are you able to oh, hang it, in that stuff or no? My first Grand Prix. My first Grand Prix race was at Vakensrod okay. in 1986. So I get to the track, and I'm like this kid in a candy store store. You know, I weighed all but by about 95 pounds at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm on this, you know, bike, so I could get any start anywhere, anytime. I was just always a good starter because my bike was like nothing was on it, you know. Right. So I'm looking at this track, and I'm walking the track, and, and it is graded to where it looks like a freeway. Right, I right. mean, it is so smooth that I'm like, dude, this is so me. I'm going to kill it here. I can't wait. I just, this is going to be awesome. And, you know, little did I know that they had like 15 national races as well, and there was quads and everything else out on the track. That track got so hammered that I literally, I got lapped the second moto. I I literally, I got lapped. And I'm like, I almost quit. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm this low? 
and it was just it was just a completely different world and it, it just blew me away it really it really opened my eyes to mm-hmm. the difference of like a southwick cuz i raced southwick literally the year before and that's oh, okay. a sand track and right. i figured you know i've got this thing i i can ride sand pretty decent and i just absolutely got killed guys that you didn't even see or hear of were smoking you and I'm like, what? <laughs> What's this three-digit guy blowing by me? Right, right. Just his shirt hanging out and the fenders off the back. And, you know, I was like, I just look like a dork. Um, but, again, that was just all part of, yeah. of, you know, learning how to race and ride and everything else over there. Um, yeah, and did you, were you friends with some of the other guys? Were you getting to know them by the, you know, year two, three, four? I mean, were you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I really started developing yeah. a really strong relationship with not only my 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 team, but just uh-huh. everyone at the track. You know, yeah. it was it's it's still to this day a family, a big family. It is it is kind of that way here, but it's right. it's just it, back then. Again, you have to you know you just have, kind of have to think back. We didn't have telephones, you know. We, I mean, there was telephones, but yeah. there was no cell phone. There's yeah. no internet. You had to change money. You you would literally. This would be like going from, you know, it'd be like from you going from Vegas down to Phoenix, and then on the border, changing, going, <laughs> getting like security right. checkpoint, going into like a prison is almost like you felt like going into. There was armed guards with machine guns and dogs, you know that would sniff your bags and literally go through all your stuff, flip through all the pages in your passport, look at you and call some stuff in and have your stuff checked again. And you were there for sometimes two hours. Really? And that would be like yeah. your trip going from Vegas to Phoenix. Right, and then right. you'd get over, you'd have to change money and all this stuff. And then all the people down in in, in Phoenix spoke Quandania, you know, <laughs> so you didn't even understand anything that they said. And it was it was another world. It was just literally yeah. like... All of these different countries that you went to, Holland, Belgium, France, Italy, Germany, it was just, it's like you're going into a completely different world. Uh, and I, it's, it, it, it's, hard, it's hard to imagine now because now right. it's really easy and the credit card and the whole thing. It's just, but it was so hard to travel over, back then. It was just, it was crazy. I'm it was sure, really crazy. Yeah, I'm sure guys like Chet Reed and, and all that, they'd be fine. But, yeah. <laughs> like you know, riders yeah. nowadays. Like, can you like the things that you did and, and had to do to, to race a GP? You know, did you? Well, and, yeah. and I, I get this asked a lot um, with with riders over here because again, there, there's a good market. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's not as strong as is <clears throat> current day right. sponsorship dollars. It's not as strong as it is here in the U.S. But there's some guys making. You know, you know, I don't want to name names, yeah. but there's guys making mid six mid six figures for right. sure, easy. Right. Yeah, and um, you know, so you can get a pretty decent deal, especially if you're a pretty pretty good rider. Mm-hmm. And I get guys that ask me all the time, "What do you think? You know, should I go over there?" Yeah. And I, it, it really comes down to what kind of a person, uh-huh. you know, how they how they are first, because. Again, you have to look at it as still to this day. You're not going to be Joe California surf kid, go and just hang out in Europe and, and succeed at, right. at racing motocross. Because, I mean, there's some bad dudes over there. It's just it's a different way to to live. And if you try to live like you're from California, you'll be miserable the whole time. I think, and, I uh, think Jimmy Dakotas is finding that out now from what I hear. <clears throat> you know, um, just how fast those guys are and how tough it is being away from your it, family it, and friends. And I'm sure he'll pick it up, and I'm and I'm sure he'll get he'll get a little bit better. But I, you know, I look at another perfect example is Zach Osborne. Right. You know, I mean, he went over there, 
And he's a very talented rider and kid and went over there and took a little bit of time understanding and learning, learning, uh, you know, the tracks and the way things went and then just started killing it over there, mm-hmm. you know, and then came over here last year and really lit it up in the, in the Supercross and got himself a great ride, you know. So it, it's almost been hard for him now to kind of readjust even the Supercross season this year. It, it, it's almost like he's had to readjust himself right. where I'm sure he'll do really good in outdoors and follow that into Supercross mm-hmm. next year. But it, it has, it just says a lot about, you know, it's just a completely different way of racing. It, it's, 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 it's even different from racing Supercross to motocross. It's just, you, you, you start to the start line different. You race differently. It's just, it's just different. It's crazy. Um, so, okay. So at, at one point you, you look around, you're a trailblazer, not, not since Laporte really, or Gibbs, Jim Gibson had somebody been over there. Um, soon Mike Healy shows up, Donnie Schmidt shows up, Trampus Parker comes out of nowhere to win the 89 title. Um, are you, are you, let's take these guys one at a time. Uh, how's your, how, how were you with Trampus? What'd you think of him? How'd you interact with him? Well, and, and, the, the, the Trampus is, is, <clears throat> was kind of the, well, for sure was the biggest surprise because I was going into the 1989 season. Um, I, I got fourth the following year or the year before. So 88, I was fourth. So I figured, you know what? Mm-hmm. I think, I think I got the hang of this. I won All a few right. motos. I'm going to be a title contender. And I show up at the first race in Italy, and this guy with long hair and a beard that I didn't even know what it – I'm like, Trampus, Park, who's Tramp? I did literally right. – I, when I got there, I did not know who he was right. because his name was Trampus. I'm like, I never heard of Trampus. Oh, did you know Chad, though? Did you, did you know Chad Parker? Yes, okay, I knew right. I know Chad, but okay. I didn't know. Tra- I so I literally did not put the two together. Right, of course not. Until right. after like the second practice where he had beaten me again, and I'm like, wait a minute, what's the what's the deal? Right. And so finally, and 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 again, we we went on to be really good friends, and we we we're still friends today. So mm-hmm. it, it was it was cool to see what he had done. Um, one of the most uh, headstrong athletes that I've ever known in my entire life. I mean, he could literally. And this is what I missed today. He could literally like sit on the starting line, and and on purpose he would go to his, you know, the the next closest, yeah. you know, uh, competition at the time, yeah. and he just sat right next to you on the start line and just stare at you, <laughs> he, just dead on, just full on like a death stare, just right. just stare you down, <laughs> and like you know, and, and just smack talk. I mean, dude, it was like classic. The stuff that he did with Trampus Parker that year was mind-blowing. I, you know, it was kind of a two-race, you know, uh, Trampus Parker and who's um, yeah. who Puzar race for okay. the title, right. and then it was Mike Healy and me racing for third and fourth, uh-huh. you know. So it was like every weekend all of those top four were out front, but it, they kind of had their own race, but it was just – it was three KTMs against one Suzuki, <clears throat> and poor old Puzar, you know, he, he put up a pretty good fight, but he just didn't stand a chance with Parker. You know, um, he, he just would dog him. You, you, I don't know. You've got to listen to the, my interview with him. Some of the stories he tells me are, are almost unbelievable. Things where he would say, if you give me that bike, I'll win, and then he won. Yep. It, it, no, it, those I mean, are true. I, I'm telling <laughs> you, the guy is, was literally an amazing athlete. Right. Um, and it was, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that really believe in, you know, you, you, you kind of thinking positive really, yeah. really shines a lot more than even talent. He was a guy that just literally would, would will himself to win. 
Wow. It didn't matter how his style, how the bike was set up. I mean, yeah, if he had two flat tires, it'd probably hinder him. But even then, he was still killing it. And he, that year, uh, and I think he won again in 91 in the 250 yeah. class, yep. he was just, there was no one else that was even close. They just, he he would just win. You know, he could just will himself to win. He told some story um, about getting a KX500 before the KTM ride, and he was leading the opening round in Roddenberg on for half the moto over Thorpe and all those guys, Gabor's, and yep. on this bike, and it was the swing arm was broken and the pipe was falling off, and I I don't it was an unbelievable story. <laughs> oh, and, and and those are all true. Those are all true. Uh, uh, so Mike Healy, uh, very much similar to yourself, you you and Mike, yeah, uh, yep. very similar personalities. <laughs> well, I wouldn't really go that far. Uh, I mean, but, we both were we both grew up in Southern California. Put it that way. But did, Mike and I were. Mike and I were, or you know, I love Mike. He's a great kid. He was a lot of fun to be around yeah. <clears throat> over there. Um, How many times very did you shake energetic, your head? You know, yeah. always, you know, the guy with the shirt off, tattoos flying. Which, you know, at that time, having a tattoo was like ultra yeah. crazy. Right, you know, right, it right. was like, especially in Europe, they were like freaking out. You know, and here Mike is doing whips on the first lap of a race, and you know, he was. He was their, uh, he was their, their, you know, their party child over there. He was just, he was having it, living it up. Very, yeah. very talented as well, though. Yeah, number of times you shook your head at him, probably daily, every, every GP. Yeah, I was like, Mike, I'm like, why don't you put a little bit more effort, or you right. know, why don't you do this? Yeah, I mean, we were so completely the opposite on the stuff, but yeah. I mean, he made it work. Yeah, he, yeah. he really did. I mean, obviously, he. He he missed out on a world championship, which I, I really think thought he had the ability and, and everything going um, yeah. to win it. But you know, in the end, it just didn't work out for him. But um, great kid, you know, he, he just he, he had a different way to think. And I, I think <laughs> one of the things that kind of led him to even the the just the craziness stuff that he got into was was the simple fact that when he went over there, and he was being rowdy and kind of crazy mm-hmm. and having these tats and walking around the pits and the mohawk and everyone just loved it. They were like, right, Oh my right. gosh, check that guy out. They're pointing yeah. at him and looking at him. And he just took all that in where, you know, if I wasn't, if I didn't look like another guy from Europe, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be that guy that's like the American, you know, yeah, I just, yeah. I've always wanted to kind of blend in, you know? <laughs> and so that's kind of where him and I were completely different, but he took it in and just, he re-ran with it. You know, uh, he ran with it. And and Schmidt, obviously, you finished second to him uh, twice before you won your title. How was yeah. Donnie uh, to deal with? And how was he over there? He was uh, um... Donnie. Donnie was an unbelievable, uh, just an unbelievable person. Um, you know, as a racer, again, I I, I kind of put him and Parker in the in the same frame of of, mm-hmm. of mindset where he was so mentally strong. But not only mentally strong, and this 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 goes on to this day, and I will say it against any athlete out there in motocross, mm-hmm. and and I think you can agree. I've seen a few athletes out there, yeah, <laughs> and been around. I can honestly tell you, I have never met another person that dedicated his life, his entire life of breathing, of eating, of everything to motocross as much as Donnie Schmidt did. And it's almost like, you know, I mean, it was tragic It was tragic when he ended up passing away and everything. But it was, you know, when that happened, I almost kind of look back, at especially the two years. And I lived with him in the same house for a year. My oh, wife you did? and I did. Okay, yeah. And, uh, you know, so I know him really, really well uh, and knew him really, really well. It, it was almost he kind of knew 
that was coming. And really? I think yeah. it was one of the things that really put him on this path of, you know what, I'm going to give it my all each and every day to, to, to achieve what I want to achieve at motorcycle racing. And, and it was just, you know, that guy was amazing. And it was when he's on, I, I really felt that sometimes in certain tracks I had, I was, I could, I was better than him, mm-hmm. but if he was behind you, you know, I would just, I would, I'd just, I'd lose it because I was like, I could be better than him, but he would just wear you down. And being <laughs> because it was just those long motos, yeah. his training routine. And again, I guess I go, I wanted to go back to what he did. I mean, from weighing his food to eating certain things. I mean, he was a fanatic. Really? Huh? I mean, there was never, well, I shouldn't say never, I'll, and I'll tell you one story where he would he would never have any sugar, any salt, no Cokes, no, I mean, it was water, it was salad, it was chicken, it was, I mean, every every second of the day, every second. And and I'll never forget it. One one time, it was the year that he won the world championship in 1992. Mm-hmm. We were driving back from um, from Austria together, and you know I ended up beating him. I think I got fourth, and he got like seventh. But he did he did he didn't do very good, and he was so mad. I mean he was livid. I mean this is yeah. like the third or fourth race of the season. He was just livid, and we pull into this one gas station, and he's. He's driving, so it was his turn to get the gas. So he, he's like, he starts filling it up. He's like, I'm over it. I'm going in the bar and goes into the <laughs> bar and comes out with a Snickers and a bottle of water. And it was literally like the guy just started injecting heroin, you know, because that to, for him seeing, for, for me to see him with a Snickers candy bar was literally like, you know what? This guy has gone off the edge. I don't have to worry about him anymore. I'm going to beat him from here on out. But. It was that was the only time I ever saw him go like that, mm-hmm. and literally from that after that race, he won the next six motos. You know, oh, wow. and it, yeah, it was yeah. just that's when he went on his rampage and whatever. It was just, but amazing athlete. Um, had a really good time with him. Obviously, very dedicated at at the racing side. Uh, you know, but but when he. When he kind of after he won his second title, it was like that was it. You know, it, it, that that next year he went out. He really struggled. He just had hard time setting everything up, and yeah. you know that was when he retired. Just after that, and then a year later, you know, he ended up passing away. So it was just, it was cra- It was really really crazy. But um, hmm. yeah, I'll never forget my my stories with living with Donnie and just being with him and being a being a teammate of his. This question I have written down, but I think I already know the answer to it. Uh, so Healy almost wins a world title, punches out Jeff Stanton on the podium. Uh, Donnie wins two titles. Are you frustrated at some point? Are you like, hey, like, screw you guys. I'm, I've been here longer. I, you know, I'm going to win this. I, I think that – not really. I mean, it, again, it was one of those things where I knew I was going to do it. I just, I just knew it. I had this feeling – that you know, I just I I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't know when. And it was one of those things where I knew that I had the ability. I knew I had the machinery. I knew I could just put all the stuff together. It was just a matter of time before mm-hmm. I was going to win. And Donnie winning those two titles, I can honestly say, I I I, I don't think I I, I would have beat him that year. Right. I, I mean, right. I was close on the 125, but when we went to 250. Um, and not to to make excuses because I don't even think this would have changed. He was a factory Yamaha rider mm-hmm. riding that aluminum frame sick bike, and yeah. I had the production bike, um, which again, I still don't believe I would have beat him even if I had his factory bike. Yeah. 
Um, but the other one that I kind of really think that I, that I messed up and, and I should have had maybe at least one more is with, with Stefan Everts because that was the same time when Stefan started coming into racing in, in, right. uh, in, in, in early nineties. Yeah. Um, in, in, in 91, it was, it was Stefan and I going at it and I felt I had the upper hand on him more often than not. Mm-hmm. And I dislocated my shoulder, um, in Belgium, um, at a race and, and, and missed out on 20 points. Came back and raced the second moto and got third or fourth. So I salvaged, but I only lost the championship to, to Stefan by, I think, seven points or six oh, okay. points or something yeah, like yeah. that. So that was one of those ones where the only time I really thought I had it, and that was at 91. So um, I finished second in 1990, second 91 mm-hmm. to, to Stefan, second in 1992 right. to, to Donnie. Right. And then, so I'm like, dude, this has got to change. And you were so switching classes. You were going 125. teams yeah. and everything and, and going and racing in 1993 with Suzuki, with Sylvan Gabors and, and, again, with Stefan Everts. Yeah. Um, uh, just, just had a disaster season, but didn't work out. Was that the year they went to three motos? <laughs> yeah, that was the yeah. three-moto format. Um, Three, and again, I got injured uh, halfway through the season. I was doing okay, but I got injured, mm-hmm. broke my, uh, broke my ankle really bad in Fox Hill. And then, um, yeah. And then the next year I came back and, and was able to win the championship. I went back with Yamaha. Uh, take me through clinching the title. Where were you? What did you need to do? How close was it? Uh, all that. I, if I remember right, you sort of ran away with it, but yeah, um, it was, it was one of those kind of. Perfect. You know, you look at any of the champions that, that, you know, usually win. I mean, there's a couple close calls, but that one was one of those ones where I just, everything meshed, everything clicked. I mean, I, I, I came from a, you know, getting injured on 250, so back into the 125 class where I really felt for my size mm-hmm. and, a, and ability, I was kind of better suited for 125. And, you know, it was a, it was a startup team with Michaela Rinaldi because he was still focusing on the 250 effort, but I uh-huh. wanted to do a 125 effort as well. So I kind of had my own program. I just It was just me. I was the only rider on that team. Yeah, were they on different, were they at different tracks then, back then too? Or were they yeah, together? Yeah, and we yeah. did different, complete okay. countries and tracks right. and everything. So it was a completely different setup. And um, it was just, it was the easiest year of racing I've ever done. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it was literally, I would, sh- I showed up at the first race, I won. I got a first and a second, won the overall, and literally from then it was just every time I got on the gate, I just I you know I it wasn't cocky. It was just it yeah. felt like I had these guys beat no matter what, right. you know, and just everything meshed. And I had one bike problem where I DNF'd one moto, came back and won the second moto, and literally yeah, I mean I had uh, Kiko Coyote is kind of my main competition, okay. Pedro Tractor as well, a few a few other guys that kind of were kind of close, but really they weren't. I mean, I was, it, I just, it just had an easy season. I yeah. won more than 50% of the races and, and, uh, you know, it was just, it was a blast. It was a blast. I just, I won the championship. I was 27 years old. You know, uh, my dad was there. Um, it was just, yeah. it was a day I'll never forget. I and, bet. uh, Nine years? going across yeah. the finish line and raising my arms and there's going right into this mob of people that just surrounded the whole track and, and, you know, and taking me off the bike and throwing me up in the air. I'm like, you know, that's one of the things I must say. I don't know why it is, but, you know, you see, you see, you know, okay, Villapoto wins a lot of championships, but even when, you know, stinking Ken pulls that, that, that win off and, and, 
you know, last last week in mm-hmm. uh, in Vegas. I'm yeah. like, he just came off and it was like, there's like two people there, like, hey, yeah, high five, <laughs> I won, you know. I'm like, dude, I'd been jumping down, screaming. I wanted to go into the crowd and get the wave going and everything else. I mean, it was just. I don't know, maybe that's one of the reasons why it just meant more for me over mm-hmm. in Europe. But, I mean, literally, since August 28th, when I won the championship that day, you basically, the whole rest of the year is a party. I yeah, mean, yeah. you go from one sponsorship party to another sponsorship party to a town <laughs> party to the team party. Right. It's just a big rager every oh. every weekend. Um, so you you really do not forget that you win a championship when you win a world title. Right. Did you defend no. it the next year? Did you move up? No, I moved up. You moved up, yeah. That was the year that Donnie kind of had a, a not-so-good season, mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, well, Bob's going to take take your spot, and Donnie ended up kind of moving out. You know, that's when, kinda, when, he, when he ended up quitting. And so I took his spot as, as uh, coming in and tried to, to, to go after a 250 title again. But it was probably like a guy who scales the mountain you were – that was it. You didn't maybe have them. Did you have the same motivation? Did you have, or, or was it sort of like you know? I, I, I did. didn't. And, yeah. and again, that's kind of after that title. I don't know if it was because it just took me so long and so much right. heartache and broken bones and being away from my home and family and just not knowing. You know, I mean, the best thing of all that happened over there is I, you know, I found Christ and I became born again Christian. And you know that to this day, you know, with, with when that happened in 1997, that was still the best thing that ever happened to me over there. Mm-hmm. So I want to get that out. But it was just because I, it took me so long to win that championship. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it, but that day after it was like, I had a complete house that had been lifted off right, my shoulders right, and it right. was off on the road. I yeah. mean, it was like, I just, I'm like, wow. I, okay. I'm done. I did it. I did it. You know, I'm 27. Yeah. I still have a lot more years of racing, but I, what else? You know, what What else can I do? And, yeah. okay, I went into a new class with a new motivation and tried to win, a, a, you know, another title. But, you know, it, it, it started out in the beginning of the season and I got injured. I got yeah. injured right at the beginning. I, I was fast enough. I thought I had everything that I, that I needed to win another title. But as soon as I got injured, you know, I'm not one that can go out and ride with broken arms and, you yeah. know, limbs and stuff like that. And it just – I wasn't that type of a guy. So – it was just different. I, I, I did come back in a 96 again. I went back into the 125 class. I felt like I could win the championship again two weeks before the, the season opener, and I was flying. I, I really felt oh, okay. like I could yeah. win this thing again. I'm going to go back, you know, win the one, another 125 title. Two weeks before the first race in Italy, I broke my, my hand. And okay. so that was it. I done. So then 97 comes around. It was another year I raced for Yamaha again. I go out, I, I uh, finish pretty consistent the third or fourth race, I win Spain, and um, I'm, and this happened during the moto, so literally I was competing against Kiko, it was a mud race, mm-hmm. and Puzar was behind me, and I went around this one corner and I, I lost the front end, and I'm like, this is one of those tracks where you do not let go, you know, because okay, if you yeah, get yeah. your hands all muddy and everything yeah. else, it's just. So right. I held on to the bike, and when I held over, I just fell right onto a rock, and I broke my uh, my right elbow. I picked the bike up because I was under, you know, so much yeah. adrenaline. I ended up finishing the last ten minutes of the race. I got second. And I won the cha- you know, I won the overall. Yeah. 
but I knew right then and there I broke my elbow and yeah. my championship was done. You're like, Again, I had I just gotten into the championship. I was like literally two points out of the championship lead at the time. I was like, I'm like I can't do this anymore. You know, I, it was just it was just wasn't meant to be. You yeah, know, like I you guess. said, and, one thing after another. You're like, yep, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I I won some Grand Prix in '97, and then that was the time where. Again, I, I came back to, you know, I was friends with Donnie Emler and the guys, and they were thinking about doing this team. I'm like, oh, I want to be your guy. I want to be your guy. And and uh, I got the opportunity, and, and so I just I threw it in because I, I, was, I was one of those racers that said, you know what, if I don't have a legitimate chance to go out and win the championship, mm-hmm. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be collecting a paycheck, you know, a couple hundred grand a year to get, you know, fifth and seventh and sixth and thirds and well yeah, i don't yeah. want to be that yeah. guy i want to be the guy going after championship or i don't want to be here and so that's kind of when the whole thing you know when, when i ended up calling it is i got the opportunity and yeah. literally i i went and worked for you know without a map like said, right. for 25 grand a year and there i go i was i was happy as a clam did you did you make end up making pretty good money in europe by the end like with the world title and everything like were you doing pretty well you know, I, I, I've been very blessed with, with I, I think not only was the racing pretty decent, was, you know, I didn't have any expenses. You know, you have to think that, okay, I wasn't probably turning in, you know, the mid-six figures. I was doing pretty decent, mm-hmm. um, you know, making pretty decent money for a lot of years, right. many years. But the thing is, is I didn't, I wasn't over here buying boats and cars and a house and, you know. Yeah. Hanging out with, you know, I didn't have all those distractions. All I had was racing. I literally would go to the to the to the race, and then with that money that I won, I'd just go straight and put it in the bank. Right, right. You know, right, and, right. and I was fortunate enough to have a very very uh, persuasive father to uh, to say, you know what, we're going to invest all this money. Oh, okay. And every time I would make, you know, I'd have seventy five or a hundred grand in the bank. I sent it over to my dad. And he'd build, he'd he'd uh, buy a piece of property, and we'd build a house. Oh, okay. And then I'd oh, have wow. another one, and we would build another one, and right, then right, have right, another right. one he built. So, I I was fortunate that way. I so, put it that way. So it can, was it was good to have something put away after after all racing. You can drive around and go. That was ninety four. That's Rinaldi. That house right there <laughs> is Everett's. Me and Everett's Patley. <laughs> yep, yeah. Um, so I I did end up after winning my title, oh, build, build my dream house in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um. Um, I ended up putting my world championship motorcycle in that in oh, that cool. house. Oh, right on. Um, but you know, it it was one of those things where you know once I got the job working with uh, with the family and working with um, with Steve, um, it was it was more important that I come and be close to the office, yep. and that meant moving to Carlsbad and moving out to San Diego area, which which I wanted to as well. Um, I love Phoenix and love Scottsdale. Both of them are, are my wife's parents and my parents live there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it's brutal. I mean, it's pretty warm too. Yeah, you know, yeah, in the summer yeah. months, it's just it's a toasty one there. Um, FMF Honda. Now, I, I, maybe I'm incorrect here. I was on the team for six months or something like that. Um, I got the sense that you didn't enjoy it. You were sort of a self-made rider. You you know traveled Europe on your own. Like we talked about, you've done all this. Uh, I felt like Scott Sheik, for example, was off the factory team and onto the FMF team, and the kid, there were some young kids on there. I felt like you didn't like their attitude and would shake it, your head many times at them. It was it was tough because again, 
you know, I had a I had full the racer mentality. Right. I, I didn't really maybe look at it so much from a management manager standpoint because again, just coming yeah. fresh off the racing and stuff. So it it did frustrate me. Again, I I think what I was more than anything is is kind of a rider coach, and and even though I ended up um, being there. <laughs> Uh, you know, the guy that did all the sponsorship sales for the team, it was something that I kind of was 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 good at because I had done that in my racing in Europe because I was my own manager over there doing my own contract. So mm-hmm. even though I did that side of it, I was like really the guy that was there to, to teach these riders and to try to help them with track, with the lines, with the, the education, with the, the doctors and the trainers and, you know, just making their life, you know, as easy as possible. And, you know, Scott, Scotty was, uh, you know, a tremendous talent again, but he, he just, you know, he had his own way to do it. And, and when it worked for him, he was unbelievable. As you remember, right. I mean, the guy was just unreal, but more times than not, it didn't work for him. Well, and, I, you know, I do remember kind of short. I do remember out of Gorman, you were faster than everybody. And I was like, this isn't good. And I remember, I remember you were faster than everybody and we were all like, wow, you know, blown away and. <laughs> laughing about you racing and this and that, and then like Sheik's attitude immediately went south because his manager was faster. You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> just fragile. Just a guy who didn't understand at that point. You know, I yeah. just well, yeah. I think maybe in my defense, I, I one of the things that was it was good for me is is obviously getting some fresh Hondas and having having mechanics and stuff. Yeah, awesome guys being able to tune my bikes. I was able to ride quite a bit. I didn't obviously do any of the Supercross stuff, but I was able to stay yeah. fit and ride the outdoors. It was something I was just loving, passionate about doing. So mm-hmm. I, you know, being just basically a year or two before winning Grand Prix, <laughs> right, right, exactly. you don't, you don't lose, you know, you don't lose your ability to ride yeah. fast on a motorcycle. So I, I guess I was still pretty, pretty well on the, yeah. on the track too, but I just, more than anything, I w- wanted to go out and show those guys, not you know, it was a competition. I wanted to be better than them, but to really show them what that bike was capable of doing yeah. and not always to complain about the bike. Yeah. And we, choosing the right lines, especially on the motocross track, is still more important than having a fast bike and all these other things. And it was just, it was kind of those things. But, you know, Brock Sellers and Danny Smith and the guys, you know, that I was working with, younger kids, I mean, that was it was a pleasure. I mean, yeah. I really did, really enjoyed working with those guys. And it was it was a blast because they had, you know, and still go out and beat me on a motocross track. Maybe I should listen to him. It was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, I do remember. Yeah, between Varner and Hooker, there was all these bike issues, and uh, yeah, one thing after another. Um, all right, we don't have too much time with you, so uh, rapid fire questions here. Uh, okay. Favorite track you've ever ridden? Pyan, Switzerland. Switzerland. Okay. Just yep. mountainy, just hills. It was uh, basically a kind of probably what um, I remember seeing pictures of. Um, Unadilla, okay. where it was all yep. grass everywhere, on hills, on meadow hills, and you just—it was just you went across little creek beds, and mm-hmm. it was just, yeah, it was just an unbelievable track. All natural. I mean, they had like two jumps set on there, but yeah, it was yeah. just all up and down hills. It was just natural. Um, very, very cool looking track. Best racer you ever raced against? Fastest guy, most talented, however you want to put it. <laughs> Still to this day, no question in my mind, John Michelle Bale. Just JMB, yeah. JMB was that guy. I mean, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's unbelievable talent these days, but oh yeah, you know, during my time and what we had on motorcycles and what was, you know, what you could do on those motorcycles. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I saw Jean-Michel Bale one time go around a flat, dry, concrete, dusty, dried-out, crusty right-hand corner, mm-hmm. not left-hand yeah. corner, just just think of right hand corner where the where the outside was a bank berm. He went around Jeff Stanton uh, like he was standing still, and he just braked and pivoted himself and kind of slid, the, controlled the wheel with his with a wheel spin with his throttle, yep. and just leaned back and went straight by him. It was it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, the stuff I saw him do. I mean, he he in the mud. It was just that that guy just unbelievable. I mean, he was just a yeah. natural, unbelievable talent. That guy was meant to be. And you know, even I don't know if you know the story, but he he went even into into MotoGP oh, yeah, yeah. and no, was actually even pole. He got a, uh, yeah, he on got one, one of the races, and then got a really bad head injury, and ended up having to yeah. um, you know kind of calm it down. But he he still comes out to the motocross. I still see him at some of the grounds. He he teaches some of the kids and stuff. He's yeah. he's, he's I see he's him the at guy, um, I think in my mind. I see him at Bercy every year, and every year I hound him for an interview, and I think he probably <laughs> he's probably getting a little creepy out, creeped out by me. Because I'm always, you know, asking them the same questions for a same interview or whatever. Um, best race you ever had? Was there one that stands out? I mean, is there a day where you were just uh, untouchable somewhere? One of the greatest ones that I had, but the one that kind of leading up to it was in Holland. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the race kind of mid middle middle of the season, so none of the championship wasn't figured out or anything like that. I ended up crashing both motos and ended up coming from dead last all the way up to fifth. Will we ever see an Amer- another American world champion, or will you be the last one? Because the way things are going, I don't know. I don't know how that's yeah, going to go. <laughs> that's a tough one. I I don't think. I mean, to say never, I don't. I don't think. I think there one day will be one yeah. guy that goes back and and wins another championship. But based on the fact of you know, I mean, the contracts and the big money and and, and the prestige is 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 still here in America. Yeah. Um, it it's you're. You know, and again, no offense to the, the to the guys that are, you know, I should say the tenth to fifteenth place riders. I don't think they 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 would be able to win. Right. It, and again, right. no offense. I mean, they're great riders, no. but it, it's it takes a different level. Like you know, when you go, I mean, you saw it at the Trophy of Nations. You know, at a really Dutch, you know, deep sand race. I mean, you saw what even the likes of. You know, Villapoto and those guys look like against those other guys. They're fast. They are really, really fast when it comes to motocross. So it's it's a tough one. I, I I'd say I wouldn't say never, but I I don't see it in the immediate future. Put it that way. There are no 17 year old Bobby Moores growing up dreaming of being world champion anymore. <laughs> There's just, that, that, that doesn't happen. If you know of one, let me know because I want to re- I want to represent him out there. So. I just don't see that happening. Uh, nobody dreams of that anymore, and it's no offense. It's like you said, it's just not the way it is. So it's going to be tough, and you can't yeah. go over there as a second-rate guy, and uh, and no offense to the second-rate guys, and win. It's t- too tough. So, yeah, should be interesting yeah. to see what happens. Bobby, thank you for doing the uh, BTOsports.com RacerX podcast show, man, presented by ThorMX. Thank you for hanging out, telling us your stories. Interesting for sure, and uh, good luck with everything, and I'm sure I'll run into you at a racetrack somewhere. Yeah, I look, I look forward to it. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the interview, and, um, yeah, I'll, I'll see you at the races hopefully soon. All right, thanks, Bobby. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Steve Mathis Show. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to find the more than 200 episode archive or get the Pulp MX app for your iPhone for the complete Pulp MX fix.